0: Chapter Four of Policy and Passion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Policy and Passion by Rosa Campbell Praed. Chapter Four: The Weaving of the Spell the coach rattled on beyond the outskirts of kuya past plantations of pineapples and bananas and pretty wooden cottages embedded in orange groves and vineyards till cultivation and even clearing ceased and hedges of cactus and acacia or rough stockading that divided the settlers' paddocks from the road gave place to monotonous forests of she oak, and eucalyptus, where there was the brooding stillness of a coming storm. At intervals, the driver paused before a bush inn, of which, at long distances apart, there were several standing, solitary among the trees, to change horses, call for the mail, or give the passengers an opportunity of descending for refreshment. The night closed in. A murky cloud grew black overhead, and occasional growlings of thunder told that the storm was advancing. Mrs. Valancy and Mr. Longleat were practically alone in the hinder part of the coach, and their tête-à-tête carried on under cover of the rattling of bolts and springs, the flapping of curtains, and general din of motion was inaudible to the men in front. "'How kind of you it was to give up the box seat and come here to amuse me,' said Mrs. Valancy in her pathetic monotone. "'It would have been too horrid had I been placed beside any of our companions. "'I can never be sufficiently grateful to Providence "'for sending you to town this evening.' "'I do not like to think that you often travel by yourself in this way,' said Longleat." I do not often travel by myself, replied she, mimicking his tone, only when necessity obliges me, as is the case tonight. I thought that you admired independent women. You have certainly said so, she added, alluding to one of his public speeches in which he had advocated female labor in certain government departments. The women I meant aren't of your sort." There's things which drag down both sexes alike, and both should be on the same ground. I should like to see all women taught to work for their bread. When I meet one with the pluck to take her own line and fight against poverty and prejudice, I respect her for it. But it cuts me to the quick to see a young, timid, and, if you'll excuse my saying it, pretty creature like you, who has the right to look for protection from others, jostled about in this way. You should not travel alone at night in a public conveyance like Hobbes. You lay yourself open to to... unpleasant remark, she said, concluding his stammering sentence. Yes, I understand, you are right, but it is not my fault. You ought to know that I dislike it. If you were my my father, let us say, you would not allow me to go about like this, but you are not my father. I have no one to take care of me except my husband. I am married, yet there is no one more solitary than I am. The world is hard to me. I am thrown upon outsiders for sympathy and support and because two or three friends who happen to be men give these to me society judges me cruelly is it not so mrs valancy turned her large eyes upon mr longleat with a frank confiding expression of which she was mistress he was regarding her fixedly but as their eyes met he abruptly withdrew his gaze and turned his face away without answering her plaintive question Given a nascent interest rapidly deepening into a powerful predilection and an unconventional combination of circumstances which places the admirer in close propinquity with the object of his attention, it will depend entirely upon the man's idiosyncrasy, whether the position inspires deference or awakens passion." In the case of the typical gentleman, that chivalrous loyalty which is as much inherent as the result of education forbids the merest suggestion of license, but the man of coarse fiber and rude training who has made it his creed to seize opportunity for the furtherance of ambition or the accomplishment of desire, and who is ignorant of the subtle definitions of a refined code of honor, though he may accurately limit his intentions, has less control over his emotions. Such a man does not analyze his inner feelings. There are in his nature no softening shadows, nor can he comprehend the imperceptible blending of passive interest with active regard. With him the machinery of passion comes into sudden play, and startles by the violent effect it produces. Mr. Longleat sat silent for some moments, taking no notice of several discursive observations with which she sought to relieve his embarrassment. He felt shy of addressing her and tried to steer his thoughts into more impersonal channels. He endeavored to direct them towards the political conflict in store for him, which for months past had held his nerves in a state of tension. In the estimation of the inhabitants of Leichhardt's town, the coming session was merely a pleasant stimulus to excitement and the present determinant of a railway that must sooner or later be built. To Longleat, it meant the crowning act of his career, upon which rested the balance of victory or defeat. It was the climax of a struggle for supremacy involving his dearest ambitions and affections. The least poetic man who has succeeded in life is conscious at times of a vein of romance permeating a temperament that he has been proud to style matter-of-fact. It is the perception of the ideal side by side with the actual that gives courage to encounter and surmount difficulties. He who is devoid of imagination rarely accomplishes a great enterprise. A man may scoff at superstition and yet have a dim consciousness of occult influence at work upon his destiny. At this moment Mr. Longley felt a curious presentiment that he was approaching a crisis in his fate, and that Mrs. Valancy, whose presence affected him so strongly, had unknowingly identified herself with his failure or success. As they drove on through the deepening darkness, a sense of unreality oppressed him, and it seemed to him that he was being whirled in a dream through an enchanted forest to a destination of which he was ignorant. At last, ashamed and annoyed at his unusual susceptibility, Mr. Longleat started forward and pulled himself together, uttering an ironical pshaw. "'What is the matter?' asked Mrs. Valancy. "'Nothing.' "'By the way, I hear that Mr. Fielding has sailed for Melbourne.' "'He left town last week by the mail-boat,' replied Mrs. Valancy, with a perceptible alteration in her voice." Is it true that you went down to the bay to see him off? Yes, my husband was with me. Was there any harm in that? I suppose not, answered Mr. Longleat. Then added in a tone of displeasure, You were very friendly with Fielding when he was in Leichardt's town. Are you, too, going to cavil at my friendships? said Mrs. Valiancy plaintively i had fancied though indeed i can hardly tell why for we have known each other but a short time that i could always count upon kindness from you i need not tell you that you may always count upon that replied mr Longleat. will you not say friendship what could one desire more than kindness if I asked anything else, I should beg that you would put aside any feeling of animosity you may entertain towards my husband, and that you would come and see me sometimes. You have not been within my doors. I I have not ventured, stammered Longleat, who had alternations of boldness and timidity, but if I may see you home after your journey... "'My husband will probably meet me at the Australasian "'when the coach arrives,' said Mrs. Valancy. "'but if not, I shall gratefully take advantage of your offer.' "'Ah!' she cried, "'what a vivid flash! "'I am as weak as a baby in thunder and lightning. "'I can only hide my face and tremble.' "'There's a storm coming up,' said Longley, "'but it is from the mildest quarter and will soon be over. "'Do not be frightened.' I cannot help feeling terrified. Of course, I know that the chances are a thousand to one against any harm befalling me. The terror is partly from association. When I was a child, my nurse used to keep me good during a thunderstorm by telling me that God was angry, and still I cannot overcome the uneasy sense that someone who has no sympathy with my weaknesses is scolding me mightily. Then came another flash followed by an angry concussion, and she cowered back, laying her trembling hand upon Mr. Longleat's arm. Presently she asked, Are you ever angry with your daughter? Angry with Honoria? By Jove, no. She has a spice of the tartar in her composition and would not stand being scolded. She takes her own way. I dare say it is fortunate for us both that her will does not often clash with mine. And when it pulls her in a contrary direction to that which you wish, you turn and let her lead you? No, replied Longley, gruffly, in some matters I am a fool where my daughter is concerned, but for all that I am master of myself. She must be very happy, continued Mrs. Valancy plaintively. When I was quite young, I had my own way too. I used to think that I needed only to ask in order to get what I wanted. But since I married, I have found life different. After all, we white women are no better off than the Lubras. We are sold like them, and then we have to walk behind our lords and bear their burdens. Now the storm broke in quick, angry claps of thunder and vivid flashes of forked lightning, which illuminated the coach in momentary gleams and showed the frightened leaders as snorting and plunging. They turned wildly in their traces. "'Whoa!' shouted the driver as he cut the animal sharply with his whip. "'What are you shying at now?' The coach rattled on over a wooden bridge while the rain descended in heavy drops that penetrated the ill-constructed awning. "'Oh, dear,' sighed Mrs. Valancy, "'I'm getting so wet.' Mr. Longleat unstrapped his poncho and placed it round her shoulders, then with one hand held down the flapping curtains in order to protect her somewhat from the driving shower." A strong wind had succeeded the late stillness, and blew upon their faces, bearing an exhilarating sense of coolness. Gradually the thunder became fainter, and the lightning less brilliant, the storm was passing over, and the passengers in front began to talk again about politics and crops and cattle, conversation in which at any other time the premier would have joined with interest, but which to-night resembled in his mind the refrain— "'of a vivid dream. "'Soon the wind and the rain ceased. "'The sky became clear and blue. "'The Southern Cross rose gem-like above the horizon, "'and the moon shone brightly. "'The horses were brisk again, "'and the coach splashed heavily through the pools left by the storm. "'The clammy heat had given place "'to a delicious feeling of freshness and moisture. "'The air was fragrant, "'with the perfume of wild flowers and scented gum.' and myriads of insects, silenced during the day by the choking dust, filled the night with inarticulate murmurings. The houses along the road became more numerous, and the lights of Leichardt's town shone one by one like stars through the trees. The bush merged imperceptibly into a straggling street, and the coach paused for a moment to pay toll at a bridge which spanned the Leichardt River. The stream, hereabout a quarter of a mile wide and with scarcely a ripple upon its leaden surface, rolled between low wharf-lined banks and green gardens towards the sea. The lights of small craft, dotted here and there, seemed like reflections from the sky above, and the moon shed her beams across the track of a ferry boat that plied monotonously to and fro over the water there was a faint distant buzz but here the tinkle of the steamer bells and the voices of the boatmen calling to waiting passengers hoi hoi over were the only distinct sounds in the deep stillness the coach drove slowly across the bridge into the city proper here the streets were wide and well built the shops gaily lighted and the traffic considerable Now the driver pulled up before a large hotel in the principal thoroughfare. A little crowd had collected about the veranda. The passengers alighted, and the premier assisted Mrs. Valancy to the ground. She gazed helplessly about her. I cannot see my husband, she said, since he is not here. I will gratefully avail myself of your escort, at least to the ferry. The premier hailed a passing jingle. He placed Mrs. Valancy and her luggage upon the back seat of this ill-balanced vehicle, and, stationing himself in front with the driver, gave the order to the Emu Point upper ferry. Leichhardt's town is curiously situated upon three peninsulas lying parallel with each other and formed by the snake-like curves of the river which divides them the city lies in the middle and is called the north side in contradistinction to south likert's town with which it is connected by a bridge while emu point the suburb where mrs valancy lived faces it again on the opposite bank it will be readily seen that whereas to follow the windings of the river would necessitate a journey of some miles by taking the ferry three times in a direct line the distance from one side of the town to the other might be rendered comparatively slight The site has much natural beauty to recommend it. Like a broad blue band, the Likert flows between undulating stretches of lightly wooded country. Here and there, beyond the line of wharves and stores, the banks rise rocky and precipitous and overgrown with ferns and the variegated Laterna, but mostly slope gently to the water's edge in gardens and grassy pastures fringed with mangrove while in the suburbs white roads wind among clumps of feathery bamboos or by acacia hedges which bound pretty villas and verandahed cottages in the distant west there lies a low range of hills which shuts out the view of the river to the east the broadening stream hurries downward to the sea the lower part of the middle point to which mr longleat and mrs Valancy were at this time driving is intersected by a long street at one end of which lies a ferry while at the other the parliamentary chambers comprised in an imposing stone structure of the modern nondescript style of architecture overlook the river in south likert's town The extremity of the point is divided into two allotments, In one of these stands government house, surrounded by its trim lawns and shrubberies. The other is laid out in parterres, grass plots and cool walks, overshadowed by flowering mimosa, palms and bunya trees. These gardens are always open for public resort opposite them the river bank rises high and rocky and is crowned by villas overgrown with creepers and commanding a view of the whole town here mrs valancy lived near the houses of parliament encroaching as it were upon the public pleasure grounds and divided from them by a screen of bamboo trees there is an enclosure in which at that time stood mr Longleat's town house it was a 2 storied building with green venetian shutters and a deep veranda and was hidden from the street by clumps of oleanders and two giant Moraton bay fig trees but mr longleat and his companion driving straight towards the ferry passed considerably to the left of this house which lay almost the length of the street behind them when after dismissing their jingle they stood upon the wooden ferry steps and waited till the plash of oars announced the return of the boat They seated themselves at the stern and were rowed across the river. The boatman talked freely as he leisurely dipped his oars. His name was Pettit, and he was a well-known character in Likert's town. He spoke in a precise dogmatic manner and moved a pair of toothless jaws in a rapid and discursive monologue yes there had been a heavy storm but it made no odds to him wet or dry it was his business to pull across that air-darned river and there was folks as swore if the boat war not at one crossing and cussed was if it war not at the other he didn't want to name no names but there were a gent living not very far up the emu point hill as were sometimes a bit tight and most often waxy He wished now that the house was going to sit, that this ere gent, who was a member of the council, would go and strike his diggings at the other side. And if Longleat, he added, unconscious of the identity of his passenger, would get another bridge built, instead of making a railway that were only good for squatters and free selectors, why he, for one, wouldn't cry out. Mr. Longleat paid the toll of Pence and offered Mrs. Valencia's arm to aid her in ascending the steep hill the road was rough and the dwellings scattered and there was no light but that of the moon to guide them along the straggling street wet with the late downpour they walked up the rugged footpath her occasional stumbles and clinging deepening Mr. Longleat's sense of protection, while in his breast rose a strong feeling of indignation against the supine indifference of Mr. Valancy, who had permitted his wife to make so late a journey unattended, and who, by failing to meet her at the stopping-place of the coach, had left her to the tender mercy of any chance traveller who might offer his escort across the river. Longleat's thoughts found vent in words it is not right he said impulsively that you should be left to shift for yourself in this way suppose that i that i had not been traveling down from kuya this evening what would have become of you i should have arrived in Leichart's town in the most commonplace manner replied mrs valancy lightly though there was a tremor in her voice which did not fail to deepen his compassion then not finding my husband at the australasian i should have taken a fly to the ferry pettit would have been delighted to offer me his protection i should have procured the escort of a little boy from the ferry-house and should have reached home in perfect safety Oh, I am accustomed to taking care of myself. There are not many knights errant in Australia, Mr. Longleat, and I have looked too long on the dark side of human nature to expect under any circumstances to find that men are actuated by chivalrous impulses. I should at first have felt shy and extremely uncomfortable, and the storm would have frightened me horribly. Afterwards, I should have looked at the situation from a philosophic point of view, and should probably have listened with a deep personal interest to the political conversation of the men in front of me. I now feel myself quite in a position to judge of the advantages of your projected railway. I suppose, she went on, that you will soon be in the thick of your parliamentary battle. I used to feel glad when the session opened. While the House is sitting, I am left more alone and have greater liberty to do as I please." That is a bad speech for a wife to make is it not but you understand me and why should i play the hypocrite when all the world knows so well what i must feel now i shall be rather sorry when the conflict begins for i have learned to look upon you as a friend and politics will keep us apart i do not see why that should be said longleat you and my husband belong to antagonistic factions that need not make any difference to you and me "'Look here, Mrs. Valancy, I'm not the man to brag about my own doings, "'but it's a fact that I should not have worked up to the top of the tree "'if I hadn't stuck staunch to my friends, irrespective of faction. "'It is not because your husband is on Middleton's side that I—that I—' "'he stammered, hardly daring to finish the sentence which had almost escaped him. "'That you dislike him?' added Mrs. Valancy softly. "'I know, I know. I'm afraid that he is not popular.' i wish she exclaimed impulsively then hesitated i wish that he was not in the council she paused uncertain of her ground then boldly tried to frame in words the thought which during the drive from kuya had been uppermost in her mind if he had some regular employment which would bring him in money and furnish him with a vent for his energies we are very poor we are deeply in debt i bear the burden of it all i am a miserable woman It would make me so much happier if you could help me to become happier. I don't see how that is possible, said Longley, looking down upon her and not exactly apprehending her meaning. I cannot rid you of an incubus as I would do if I had the power. Tell me in what way I can help you. If I can do anything for you, you have only got to ask me. Suppose, said Mrs. Valancy, emboldened by his manner and turning her eyes towards his face as they walked on together, suppose that I were to ask you to give my husband an appointment, a police magistrate's post, perhaps work which would take him away from Likert's town from temptations. The premier started as though he had been stung, and Mrs. Valancy felt in a moment that she had overshot her mark. "'You need not be afraid,' she exclaimed in a bantering tone. "'I would not for the world tamper even by suggestion with ministerial policy. "'I know that subject is sacred. "'Don't rebuke me too severely for my boldness. "'I could not bear to fall under your wrath. "'But apart from joking, I thought that it was considered diplomatic to buy off an opponent.' "'That may be the creed of some politicians,' said Longleat excitedly. "'It isn't mine.' I've kept my hands clean since the day I took my seat upon the treasury bench. My worst enemy can't say again me that I've ever given away a government place to curry favor with an adversary or to pay a friend. I'm glad that you call it joking, Mrs. Valancy. It had cut my heart to refuse you anything that you asked for serious, but I couldn't do that. Promise me that you'll think no more of it, she urged. I couldn't bear to feel that you were angry with me. "'It wouldn't be possible for me to be angry with you,' he said. "'There are, there might be other ways of helping you, if you'd let me name them. "'We have reached my cottage,' she said, pausing before a wicket gate, "'which gave access to a dim-looking garden situated upon the brow of the hill. "'You will come and see me soon, and tell me what is in your mind. "'Won't you come in now?' Oh, yes, my husband will be glad to know, she added with a touch of sarcasm in her tone, that I have been so efficiently escorted from the Australasian. Mr. Longleat hesitated for a moment, then entered. End of chapter 4